Welcome to Inside USF, the podcast. From University Communications and Marketing, I'm Tom Wolfe. I'm talking with Prasant Mohapatra, USF's new Chief Academic Officer, who is just settling into his office and his new role. He started his job as Provost and Executive Vice President of Academic Affairs at the beginning of March. Welcome to USF and the podcast. Thank you very much. You were on our campuses for a few days in January for interviews. Your appointment was announced January 23rd. What have you done over the past month or so to begin to learn more about the university, transition to Florida, prepare to take on this new role? So during the last one month, since it was a pretty short month, uh, I was primarily focused on uh, making sure that there is a smooth transition at UC Davis to the new leadership. Uh, who will be taking over my role. So most of my time was spent on that. But during that time, I also explored uh, the leadership structure here at um, USF, and also you know, a few other issues like consolidation efforts, and you know, how the, uh, the path of uh, rising to the higher ranks of the university is going on. In addition to that, I also explored a bit of the housing situation in Tampa because that needs to be handled also soon. That's a challenge yeah. in this market. What will your first few months at USF look like? What plans do you have to meet with various individuals and groups and getting out to all three of our campuses? So I had expected that I'll be drinking from a fire hose in the beginning, but I'm realizing um, how wide the hose is. So uh, it's, it's crazy busy and the calendar is uh, very impacted to begin with. Uh, what I'm planning is to visit the leadership teams at all the three campuses at their respective locations uh, as soon as I can. In addition to that, I'm meeting different groups like the Council of Deans, the uh, Provost Leadership Team, the Chancellor's Cabinet, and I will also have individual meetings with uh, Vice Presidents, the individual deans, and a few other key leaders from all the campuses. You've been on the faculty at Iowa State University and Michigan State University. And for the last 22 years, you were a faculty member and administrator at the University of California, Davis. Why did you want to become a provost, and why USF? So I have really enjoyed uh, being in several different roles in academic leadership uh, during the last uh, two decades, almost. Um, the best part that I like is making impact, uh, both smaller and broader. Um, as a natural progression in the career growth, you know, I was always aspiring to be a provost uh, in a large, uh, preferably public university where I can make a bigger impact. So, and this was, this was the ideal opportunity that I was looking for. In terms of uh, USF, there are two things that attracted me is, one is it uh, kind of fits my style of moving fast, so it's one of the fastest rising university. And also I found um, after my initial interaction with uh, President Law and the other leadership uh, people, uh, you know, I had a jump in my interest uh, because of the opportunities that I see uh, and the potential to growth uh, that I envision over here. And as President Law likes to say, 
she likes to move fast also. Yes, yeah. Let's talk broadly about higher education nationally, if we can. What challenges and opportunities do you see? So I believe that at the national level, the higher education is in an, is in an inflection point. The new generation of students, they are adapting different technology and different learning methodologies. In higher education, since they are adapting, we need to adapt all the changes that we need in order to feed to the learning uh, skills that the students uh, need to have. You know, a long time back, we were focused on educating the students on what they need to know. Now we have to focus more on how they will adapt to changes in their life. Because it is almost certain that, you know, what technology we are leveraging now, it may be a different world, you know, when they go to the workforce. And so, so that also brings in the issue of developing workforce in these new and emerging areas, which is of national importance. So those are some of the focuses that we have to uh, adapt to. The other thing is the pandemic actually accelerated all this effort. So we need to move fast in order to make ourselves aligned to this new world where the needs for the um, workforce of the futures are quite different what it was in the past. We also may not know what jobs will look like in the future. Exactly, yeah. Closer to home here in Florida, there is a lot of conversation about legislative proposals that could impact state universities, including possible changes to tenure, faculty hiring, and diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. As you step into this role, what's your perspective on these discussions? I know there is a lot of uh, anxiety related to the um, post-tenure review and other issues that are being discussed. Um, I come from a system where uh, the post-tenure review or some variant of that has been in the UC system forever. But the way I personally see it is, I think that the, the term post-tenure review is not the correct one. What we need to um, position ourselves is, it is periodic self-evaluation along with peer reviews. I think that's a very healthy practice in the growth of uh, academicians in their career where periodically they do a self-evaluation and they get some uh, peer reviews done. So we should not project it as uh, uh, having some kind of punitive repercussions, but rather leveraging those as privileges that we can adapt in order to improve ourselves going forward. Uh, there are other issues in terms of faculty recruitment and DEI issues. So we need, to, we need to have discussion on what we believe in towards achieving excellence and try to work with our board of trustees, board of governors, in order to make sure that the best practices are um, integrated in our culture in terms of faculty recruitment and retention. Aside from your administrative roles, your background is in engineering. What led you to pursue a career in engineering and specifically computer science? So a part of it um, relates to uh, family impact. Uh, my siblings are all engineers. Uh, but during the time, you know, when I was starting my undergraduate education, 
the area of computers was relatively new and it was exciting and anything new and uh, technologically exciting really attracts me and that led to my um, convergence of choosing that career and later on I started developing a passion for Given your background, I'm curious about your perspective on another topic that is generating a lot of conversation, the artificial intelligence program, ChatGPT. What are your thoughts about AI in higher education and more specifically in the classroom? I can talk for the rest of the day on this topic. Uh, I'm really passionate about um, artificial intelligence and uh, I am pursuing research in, in artificial intelligence as we speak. Um, I think the, the society uh, is uh, ready to adopt more artificial intelligence um, in terms of you know, making uh, our quality of life better and the world um, a sustainable uh, environment. So uh, there, are, there are a lot of opportunities to leverage from the growth in the research and development in artificial intelligence, and I think the the industry is moving very fast on that. Uh, in academics, uh, we are probably a little bit slower in my view. We need to really also move fast to look at more innovative and creative ways um, by which we can use artificial intelligence. There are, um, there are some downsides of artificial intelligence also. We need to be aware of the ethical and the fairness issues that needs to be maintained while we adopt large-scale um, AI benefits. The other thing that you brought up is ChatGPT. I know there is a lot of worries and concerns in the academic world on what it will lead to in terms of educating our students. Personally, I'm not too worried about that. We had similar concerns when calculator came. People thought, okay, how do we teach maths with these devices? When computer came, they said, okay, education. And same thing with internet. When it came, uh, you know, we thought people can get everything from there. So I think this is another um, inflection point that we need to ride through. We need to figure out how do we leverage that. Instead of, you know, I see some social media saying that we should not allow chat GPT in classes. Uh, I would say that we need to figure out a way to adapt it in a more creative way to make it beneficial both for the students as well as for our instructors. So I have been working on various research projects primarily related to cybersecurity and artificial intelligence. Um, there, is, there are a couple of large projects that I'm engaged with the US Department of Defense uh, um, from US Army. So I have um, a postdocs and a few graduate students, those who are working with me on those projects. So primarily we are looking at fairness issues in artificial intelligence. And on the cybersecurity side, we are looking at how we can leverage artificial intelligence to enable uh, stronger cybersecurity needs that the, uh, at the national level that we need for national security. Our audience might like to learn about your personal journey. Tell us about growing up in India and coming to the United States. I was born and brought up in um, a lower mid middle class family um, uh, with very modest resources. Uh, in, uh, in a state at that time, it was the poorest state in India, which was uh, at the lower end of the developing country. So I have uh, traveled a long way from that, and it has been an interesting journey. 
Um, when I had, you know, in, in, in those situations, the lack of opportunities and exposures are always challenging. So when I got an opportunity to, um, to go for higher studies in US, I grabbed the opportunity. And uh, since then, I have leveraged that a lot. And uh, the, I think I've done, done well through that process, yeah. Tell me about your family. So uh, uh, my wife is uh, also from computer science background. She is uh, currently a, a manager in the IT system for the state of Florida. And uh, we have two kids. Uh, my son uh, graduated from UIUC, um, Urbana-Champaign in computer engineering again. And he's working for Microsoft. Uh, my daughter just finished her studies in biomedical engineering from UC Berkeley, and she, uh, she started uh, her medical school at UC Davis uh, Health System. What do you like to do when you're not working? You shared a number of photos with us. It looks like you and your family enjoy traveling. So traveling is my favorite pastime. We, uh, as a family, we travel a lot. Uh, personally, I have traveled in more than 60 different countries, and I have enjoyed, and I would, I would love to continue that passion as we move forward. One of those photos was of you riding an ostrich. Yeah. I'd love to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, it was in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, so we had this opportunity, you know, this guy said that, you want to ride an ostrich? I'm like, why not? And the funny part is, he closed the eyes when I was riding the ostrich. I'm like, why are you doing that? He said, if, if, if it knew that you are riding on it, you will be in big trouble. And these are really gigantic ones. <laughs> so it was fun. What else besides traveling do you like to do outside of work? So uh, outside of work and you know, travel takes a lot of time. There's very little time left, but I enjoy watching sports. Uh, I love watching sports. I play a little bit uh, with, as a pastime. My uh, newest uh, passion is uh, pickleball. I don't know whether it's popular in this part uh, of the country or not, but uh, it's, uh, I'm enjoying that now, yeah. That is a perfect segue into a few rapid fire questions I'd sure. like to share with you. Current TV show you're watching and favorite show of all time? My favorite show, and I'm also currently watching all reruns, is The Big Bang Theory. Last book you read? I like reading biographies of innovative people. So Steve Jobs uh, by um, Walter Isaacson was the latest one I read. Favorite concert you've attended? That was an interesting one I attended in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, you may remember this was kind of a YouTube sensation of uh, Gangnam style dance. Uh, his name is P.S.Y. Shai. I don't know whether pronouncing it right or not, but that concert was like, you know, something out of the world. <laughs> you mentioned sports. Do you have a favorite sport you like to watch? So I watch, uh, uh, my favorite one is football. I watch both college and uh, um, NFL. American football. Yes, yes. Uh, I kind of learned uh, American football and uh, got addicted to it, uh, addicted in watching it at Penn State. You know, Penn State is a big football school. And 
and I realized at that time how important is athletics to, um, for any higher education institute because that brings in the bonding with the current members of the institute as well as alumni and you know brings in a lot of other people. Even now, uh, God knows how many years it has been, 30 years or uh, something, I still never miss a Penn State game. So that's the kind of attachment you can uh, develop uh, through athletics. And again, I'm, I'm using football as a personal choice. There are similarly basketball um, fans, those who have similar type of attachments. Any topics we haven't touched on? One very important topic we missed is food. Uh, Please. I like, I like uh, seafood and uh, sushi. You're in the right place. Yeah, sushi is my favorite. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Special thanks to our partners at WUSF Public Media and the USF School of Music for providing March Victorious, which in addition to the podcast can be heard at various university events. It was composed by the first director of athletic bands, Sid Hayden. <laughs>